is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. What's up? I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of books that have come oh, out this week. Oh, a metric Lots. Time. So let's get into so it. Kicking it off about. with... So, uh-oh. Let's kick it off talking about Green Lantern number one from DC Comics, written by Jeremy Adams and Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Zermonico and Montas. In this issue, we are getting back to Hal Jordan. He is back on Earth. He's doing Green Lantern stuff. We don't know exactly how he's got Green Lantern powers. It's part of the mystery that we're exploring here, given that he quit the Green Lantern Corps. And the backup story, we're getting a different timeline focusing on Guy Gardner and Jon Stewart. And there's also a lot of mystery in terms of exactly what's going on there. I'll tell you what. I was very apprehensive getting into Mm. a book about Hal Jordan, a character that I think has been like, not necessarily. We've seen enough. We've seen it. I've seen enough. But this world, this is, I said this on the live show. I'm going to steal Pete's thing again. It's sort of like the movie Maverick. I would. God damn it. Yes. It's Top Gun Maverick with Green Lantern with a bit of mystery, and I absolutely love oh. this. What did you guys think? I yeah, also so interesting. Enjoy, we had the same we all we all had the same idea. You I had also my enjoy idea. Tom Cruise movies, and I'm glad that they finally made one in the comic book form. You know well, did I mean? you ever read the Green Lantern run that was like it's cocktail but Green Lantern? Because yeah, that was not yeah. definitely was yeah. not good. They was make like, a lot of sense. I'm pretending to throw bottles in the air and juggle. Yeah, I mean, I really felt bad for that goat. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that goat was okay. Did you read the comic or is the Church of Scientology book for for Green Lantern <laughs> at all? It's sort of uh, like Green Lantern. Yeah, that was the last run. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> we got this. We're burning everybody right now. But one thing I'm not going to burn is this book because I enjoyed this. I thought this was a fun reestablishment i actually like if they're going to continue this sort of um front story backstory where we get a little how and we get some other green lanterns doing other stuff uh this is fun i like him being a little less of a jerk he's sort of more uh, has a little bit more humility for a change which is fun i think that um you know like this would make a great movie because like Top Gun was a while ago. You know what I mean? So it'd be cool if we got another updated movie. You know what I mean? Mm. I feel like this comic might what are you talking push about? An updated that idea. Green Lantern movie? Uh, no, I'm yeah. talking about. No, no. Ryan oh, Reynolds like is already see- married. We don't need to. You know what I mean? Like that was where he met his wife. That was the only reason for making that movie because otherwise you think it was that, that movie was an elaborate date? You're saying an expensive That's where he date. Met his wife, and they Which fell in love. What, what are you talking about? Top Gun Maverick? No, no I'm jumping Lantern. all over the place. I'm a little drunk from the last show, but uh, <laughs> I was making a, bo- a, a point that uh, Top Gun Maverick oh, is boy. already a movie. We don't need this comic book. Oh, um, great! Thank you for making the point that Top Gun Maverick is a movie. Why don't we move on to talk about this comic book a little bit? Um, so uh, I agree. I think like. Just to be clear, I thought Jeffrey Thorne's run on Green Lantern was also very good. The previous Lantern run on the Green Lantern was very good. But I really didn't know how much I missed having a sort of iconic take on Hal Jordan in the DC universe until I read this book. And that's the point of Dawn of DC, right, is to, like, bring these characters back to the iconic basics, give them some new concept, gives them some new ideas. And that's exactly what this book does. We get the 
a bizarro take in the best way from Philip Kenny Johnson, the backup story involving uh, John Stewart and whatever is going on with him, Guy Gardner, whatever is going on with him. It seems like a riff on Black Lanterns, but maybe even more dangerous. Good stuff. Agreed. Amazing Spider-Man number 25 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells and Rainbow Rowell, art by Kari Andrews and John Romita Jr. at excuse me, Alvaro Lopez. In this issue, this is one that Marvel has been hyping up in a big way as one of the biggest events in Spider-Man since Gwen Stacy died. That's what they've been teasing. And here we finally flash back and find out what's been going on with Mary Jane, why she says she's together with this guy, why she has two kids. We see that she lived for years in this alternate timeline, alternate universe place where she found two kids. She didn't have two kids. She found Which two is kids. Which di- is a big difference, I think. It's a big difference. And uh, Spider-Man ultimately loops up with the current timeline. That's when we get the John Romita Jr. art back. And we find out what happens with Spider-Man going forward, leading up to next issue, which is promising to be any even more big revelations. Justin, I'm going to go to you first for no particular reason. What Great you choice. About this? Great choice of people to go to first, may I say. Uh, I like this a lot. I Fuck like you. this. St- I Hold on, sir. Can we mute this? There's someone in the troll in the feed here. Yeah, no machine. problem. Uh, can't, couldn't possibly be Pete on the podcast. Oh, was that? No, it sounded like sort of a grumble, like a like almost like a Gollum character who was like, my Get precious, to your point, asshole. So my you precious liked it. What you Mary like Jane. <laughs> uh, what I like about this is we're learning the story, and I like that they, they changed the – we learned from uh, Spider-Man's perspective, from Peter's perspective, that like he knew Mary Jane emerged from this uh, time away, has a family, and he's heartbroken. And then this, we get the other perspective. We get to hear her story. And we find out that, yes, she does have a family, but it's less uh, – when it felt like she is with this guy and fell in love with this guy in this other universe, I think it's more like she's sort of dating this guy and they adopted two children. So, like, I think that – Pete, to, to your perhaps secret passion, it helps with the uh, opportunity to maybe bring Peter and Mary Jane back together. Not that we're trying to break up a family out here, uh, but that's for you, Pete. I want to also highlight the backup story featuring Black Cat and Pete, Peter Parker. Two great. That's a great couple. Why are we why are we mad about that? Uh, I think it's obvious why we're mad about that. Uh, d- d- Zelvin, did you want to say anything nice before we moved on, or what's up? <laughs> no, you go first, and then I'll we'll, we'll do like a hate we'll sandwich. We'll do a hate mm. sandwich. Okay, yeah. Um, so this is what the problem was. We were kind of like teased, like, "Oh my God, there's this family, and oh, what's oh?" But Peter was gone for, and yeah, that's exactly what you thought at first. She was like, "Fuck you, I'm," you know. Heartbroken, I'm closed off. And then slowly over the years, uh, you know, she had to take care of this family. She to survive and you know, in this kind of like times that, yeah, I mean, what did you expect to happen? Time went on. I just don't understand what the fuck Marvel is thinking and why we're doing this. Like, why are we moving away from something that? was great and was a huge part of this character. You mean Black Cat and Peter Parker? No, I'm not talking about your fucking Black Cat, okay? We're talking about Mary Jane and Peter Parker, okay? Peter Ah. Butter and Jelly, the fucking two things that go together. We're not talking about your fucking weird-ass fantasy. I just want to mention. 
I, great for your son, man. Great. I thank you for bringing <laughs> that up. is the black I, cat. I I'm not sure what clear. you're flexing on. The fact that you have a kid or that he doesn't like peanut butter and jelly. Pretty jelly. Good. I don't Nutella know. is like fancy Does jelly. Does anybody else have a kid? I mean, I feel like most people don't. So it's Mary pretty Jane cool has, a, has two. I guess, yeah, congrats for I also being bougie found enough to have an Nutella. I don't know what to fucking say to you. But my point is... This doesn't make sense. It just makes people angry. And I don't know what the point of this is. It seems like the point is to get farther away from something that worked for I don't know what reason. So it's it's it seems like it's making it harder for Peter and MJ to get together because now we got to raise these kids or take care of these kids or get them back to their timeline or whatever the fuck is going to happen that I got to sit through to give me hope that the you know two people who brought each other up and worked worked really well together and gave people hope uh, yeah, but I guess that doesn't fucking sell comics. Or well, maybe Jordan. I, maybe I, I would argue, Pete. Don't mention really, Jordan G. White. He has Jordan nothing, White to, do nothing to do with this. Nothing to do with this. He just taunts you about this. <laughs> is the only thing. Uh, but let me let me say, Pete. I think you're you're sort of making the point for why this is the way these stories go, and why this storytelling is what comics are all about. Like you move away from something so that then you can come back to it. And honestly, the fact, do you prefer when Mary Jane is just not in Spider-Man comics and there's no connection there? Or do you prefer when we're actually sort of experimenting and pushing on that relationship? Because I think what you saw in this comic was a lot of love from both Peter and Mary Jane. Mary Jane doing the same thing Peter was doing, desperately trying to wait for him and, and connect with him. But the circumstances took them apart. Cool. I mean, I love when I open up a comic book and I'm like, man, I hope I get circumstances and not hope. And I hope that I get like really tough times instead of uh, things that are really cool to see. Circumstances is just a long way of saying hope. Can I can I throw something in there? Um, I agree with you, Justin. I thought the backup story was super fun. Black Cat and Spider-Man going to a wedding together. Not the time. Not the time for that. Not the time for that story. It's important when a wedding issue. And Spider-Man going to having to do a suburb adventure like he did in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. That's the first movie. So Mm. very fun. Rainbow Rowell. Love it. Great stuff. Uh, The front story. I'm going to kind of agree with Pete. Whoa, I knew you were sitting on something. Uh-huh. I knew you had something uh-huh. under your head. I was sitting on a little bit of a bob there. Here's the thing. This didn't work for me. And Why? It didn't work for me for a couple of reasons. a shitty idea. Hold on. One of the reasons is external factors, which I understand is not fair, but Marvel hyping this up as the biggest event that has happened in Spider-Man comics since Gwen Stacy died, it is not. Yeah. Agreed, is but like, an, that's an, fine. It is an event that but happened But we also haven't Spider-Man got to comics. the full thing of it yet. We also, have you ever talked to? Have you ever heard Stan Lee talk? Like, I think you were used to a little bit of hyperbole in our. <laughs> yeah, 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 and I get that, but like that was a little too much. Like, that's a little over the top in terms of actually what's happening. I, as I've said before, I'm not into whoever this bearded weirdo is who is coming in, who's messing the up villain. their lives. Like, it just doesn't work for me necessarily as a character because I don't love when mystical stuff impedes on Spider-Man is the same way that I feel about Morlin. Like there's been some good stories around it, but it just, it's too much. Like it doesn't, it, it makes Spider-Man into 
in my mind, the figure the way that we see him in the real world instead of the figure that he is in the comic book world. It's very funny to me that you're saying that sort of the same stuff Pete is. You're just not yelling and swearing as much. But you're both just being like, I don't like this. I don't like this. This but story I, is but I don't Here's the thing that I agree with Pete about is we knew this is what happened 25 issues ago. And then they're showing it to us. And uh, granted, like, I guess you could look at that as the side of a good story that they set it up properly. But the amount that everybody hates Peter at the beginning of this story does not in any way seem deserved with anything that has happened here. And maybe that's coming next issue. But he's like punching the Fantastic Four. But this is the first time he's punched or fought the Fantastic Four or anything like that. Like, none of this feels particularly motivated in the right way to me, and it's frustrating to read that. Uh, well, I do think this, to me, does feel different in that it feels like Peter Parker's often like, ugh, my life sucks, and he'll lash out at certain points. But then he, by the end of the issue, apologizes and moves on or does something to save the day. In this, he's not doing that. The, the darkness is lingering on him which I think is a major difference and something that we don't often see um, in Spider-Man comics. And I just think that like the, while the mystical nature of it is like a little different and maybe not what you love, I think it's going to be a meaningful choice. I think we're going to get some sort of, that will speak to the resolution of this uh, Mary Jane having another relationship and Peter sort of wanting well, here's the problem, back. Justin. I think it is like you want this other relationship to happen, so you don't mind this twist in the character. But the problem that I'm having is it's rewriting a main character's DNA in the comics in a way that doesn't make sense to me. Well, he was with Gwen Stacy forever, and she was his like true love for a while, and then that went away. Like, are you... What if you met a Gwen Stacy? And Pete, like, you were fit. first reading the comics in the 1960s, right? I was not born yet, but thank you. I appreciate uh, okay, it. I know there's some gray me, in this beard, but uh, I just and think in, that... In a lot of ways, like I feel like real people love different people in their lives, and I think it's hard to just say, well, this one's... You have to go back to that other one because that's the one that um, me, your friend, believes in the most. Like, you have to ride with the what's happening... The care, the choices that the person's making. I mean, it's weird you're saying it like that because it's it, it feels like you're talking right to me and being specific about things that happened in our life and whatnot. No, no, because it seems that. like you're saying that like that one time where you had that amazing uh, uh, fling with that lady in the uh, Spider-Man week, oh, and man. I was like, "Hey, man, you should pursue that." And you were like, "Fuck you, man." You know. So now, why don't we move on to another comic book because we have like thirty <laughs> more comic books to talk Great about on the stack. Something epic, number one, from Image Comics by Sismon Kondratsky. Um, this is not at all what I expected from this cover 100%. or this book or anything, but I ended up absolutely loving this comic book. This is about a young boy who may or may not be seeing characters straight out of comic books and uh, video games and animation, or he may be suffering from some real mental issues. They play it sort of across the line the entire time, but 
This is this is a phenomenal work of art. I felt. What did you guys think? I completely I, agree. It's yeah. unbelievable. And it was like I read the title. I was like something epic. Okay, <laughs> taking <laughs> big shots. <laughs> All right, to me. Yeah. All right. Let's see about that. Completely blown away. Completely blown away. I uncrossed my arms and was so impressed and wanted to give it a hug afterwards. It's just, it's such a unique, uh, original idea. I love the whole, uh, the the way the art is kind of lying to us, but showing us things. It's very cool, uh, very creative, really fruit, feels fresh. And you, uh, I just, uh, I was so impressed with this book. Not only the art, but the coloring, the the shape, every aspect of it is just hitting a home run. I was super impressed with it. Also, the, the nostalgia factor, just seeing like an 8-bit samurai guy, you know, just got me in the feels. Like it was just so, the, the, there's so much going on with this. And it's uh, also talking about creativity in such a cool way. When you want to really impress Pete, don't give him seven bits. Don't give him nine bits. Give him that eight bits because he loves that specific number of bits. Uh, This, I agree. This was such a great, like, treat of a comic. Like, the way it got into some big ideas about, like, imagination, human potential, and then dropped into our story. The art is sort of dark and brooding while the, the text is a little bit bright and inspiring throughout as we sort of fall deeper into the story. I love the swerve of we get this reveal of the sort of first twist into seeing these characters. And it's like a terrifying Nosferatu style Dracula. Yeah. And then like a funny cartoon cat uh, who's also a vampire was like, what? Are I did not see that coming. And it, it was such a swerve and it worked. But great, great first issue. Definitely looking forward to this. And the last thing that I'll throw out here is this is the sort of thing that I think could only work in comics and for comic book fans, because reading this, at least I'll speak for myself, but I imagine other people out there as well, you immediately identify with this character who is like, I see these things everywhere. I see these fantastical creatures and all these characters from all of our different media and all of these different things that we read and enjoy and love. And then it has this heartbreak of, oh, my God, maybe it's not real. Maybe he has an actual mental thing going on. Maybe it's not. We don't necessarily know. But plays it right across that line in a really beautiful and very emotional way. But also yeah. uh, the there's the, the the humor in it. It's just like the action dude with the shark that's like the shark's like, as for duct tape, you idiot, just hysterical. There, it, It's really... It, it, it has a real range, and it's yeah. really impressive uh, all that it's able to pull off. Yeah, and I know we've said this before, but a beautiful art as well. This is a great one to follow. Next up, Ghost Lore, number one from Boom Studios, written by Cullen Bunn, art by Leo Max. In this book, we're following a family who, this is a bit of a spoiler, but it sets up the concept of the book, gets in a horrific car accident, and one of the characters seemingly gets the ability to talk to ghosts and allow them to pass on from this life. It also seems like a opportunity, potentially, I guess we'll have to see with the second issue, but for Cullen Bud to tell some done-in-one stories like he's been doing at the same time. So it's sort of like an anthology with an overarching idea, almost a TV pitch idea. Um, I was very impressed with this one as well. What did you guys think? Yeah, it was, um, it was I agree, very cool. The art's really good, like tense, 
uh, horrific while not being sort of overly dark or anything. But man, this really sat in the real sad parts of this book for so long. You really yeah. have to suffer with along with this the this family as they're going through this accident. But I, I agree with you, Alex. Like the the fun it's a fun premise that is played out really well, and I look forward to as it spins out in either in more anthology direction or as a, a traditional narrative. Uh, yeah, this got real fucked up. Um, this got a little too fucked up for me. Uh, I wasn't sure what was happening. Um, I, I wasn't sure if the car crash happened because of the seeing the dead people or if what, so I don't know. I was a little confused and it got real dark. Uh, so yeah, it kind of pulled me out, but Columbine is, does creative, crazy, amazing things. Some of them are a little bit more on the scarier side, and that kind of uh, isn't my wheelhouse. So, um, yeah. This has some shades of the sixth sense, if you're a fan of mm, that yeah, as well, yeah. if you want to get on that. And Pete, if it helps you at all, what I always say is, I don't want none unless you have bun, hun. Mm, that does that help me in the dark <laughs> <laughs> doesn't help yeah. me. Doesn't oh, help great. Me. I'm glad no. that helps you. Oh, I'll stop calling you at night and saying that on the phone to you. <laughs> yeah. Every night, man. Every night. And I always, I love it. It helps me go to sleep. Spirit World, number Love one from DC Comics, written Spirit by Alyssa Wong, art by Henning. Uh, this is continuing a short story, I guess, from one of the Lazarus Planet books. Yep. Basically, what happened was we meet this character who can commune with the spirit world. Uh, Batgirl, meanwhile, Cassandra Kane is trapped in the spirit world. So we're following these two stories. They're trying to get her back along with Constantine. Uh, this is... Great. I had a lot yeah. of fun reading this. And Pete, I was curious to hear from you because there's a lot of very Miyazaki-style imagery. Yeah. And I know you love that stuff. So what would you think about this? Book? Yeah, this was more my wheelhouse. I really love this. I felt like they, first off, cool co covers, um, fun magic, team-up adventure, fun characters, cool art style. This is a really solid first-ish. It really gets you excited about the world and what's to come. I feel like they really did a great job, and I, I was feeling all of it. I was really impressed with it. Um, the kind of anime style to it really is very inviting and cool and bright. And, yeah, I think it's a great premise. I also really enjoyed this. Uh, very convenient that the two sides of our story are like right on track to converge uh, as early as next issue. Uh, but otherwise, other than that sort of convenient turn, I thought all of these characters are really interesting. The sort of world that we're exploring is really fun. It's the spirit world. We're it's the spirit, spirit world. world. That's the world. I, it's so crazy. That's the world I was talking about. The spirit world. Hmm. Uh, Silk, number one from Marvel, written by Emily Kim, art by Ig Guara, and this book, and again, we'll get into spoilers a little bit, but this kind of sets up the premise of the book. In the first half, we're getting a detective noir, Silk, but it turns out that something weird is going on, and she's not supposed to be there. By the second half of the book, we end up in a Western before we get a little bit of the mystery revealed. I'm forgetting the name of the book, but there was a Wonder Woman book they did that had a semi-similar premise where Wonder Woman was trapped by some villains and she was being put through these simulations. This is... Not at all what I expected from a Silk book. I ended up no. really enjoying this premise, and I thought this one was a lot of fun as well. 
A great intro to the series. I'm curious what the series is actually going to be, though. Mm -hmm. It feels like I don't know if we're going to be in a dream world for the whole thing or what the idea is. So it's that rare book that I liked, even though the premise is sort of not apparent uh, here. But as far as like a Spider-Man character book, very surprising way to start it out. And I really like Silk. I look forward to seeing her moving forward in some direction. Yeah, I feel like this was a cool, creative idea for Silk. Um, the reveal was kind of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. I think the, the setup is very intriguing. Great art style. Uh, yeah, I think that this could be really cool. And Pete, you love Silk when it comes to sheets and underwear. So this must be really good for you. <laughs> I like uh, I like uh, soft, comforting things. Mm-hmm. Phantom Road, number three from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Gabriel H. Waltz. So the past two issues, we've been following two folks who are in a bat truck traveling on a weird road <laughs> through a strange alternate <laughs> dimension. Mac trucks. When you want to drive a truck, let's make it a Mac. Sorry, yep. just getting our sponsorship in there. There you go. <laughs> uh, in this issue, we flash over to the real world and follow a detective who's basically picking up on everything they've been doing the past two issues, which is a wild turn that I was not yeah. expecting. But frankly, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how we like Jeff Lemire's book, but he sort of is like, here's a little taste for you. Here's a tiny I'm, little I taste know. of something. This book is like, the d- diametric opposite. There it's was a full so meal. Much, yeah, it's the full meal. So much is going on here. There is some wild stuff that happens in this issue. I thought, curious to hear if you guys felt the same. Uh, I, I also love this. It's very, uh, we talk about Jeff Lemire's spare in his storytelling a lot, uh, which really matches with the Gabriel Walta art here. And like you're saying, Alex, it's still spare in the storytelling, but there's a lot happening in this in each issue as opposed to some of the other ones where it feels like um, there's just a lot of air flying around. Um, but this, I really loved how what when this issue has come in the run so far because, like, we get the cops investigating and we're actually learning about what's happening through the cops. Like, so many stories yeah. use cops investigating to reiterate points that we already know. In this, the cops are telling us stuff where I'm like. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that about this. And I I just I'm so surprised I haven't seen more of that because it really works. And the art is great. The twist uh, with our detective character is really smart. Yeah. This is one of my favorites in the stack. Yeah. Also, like really intense when she kind of like figures it out, you know, and then what happens next? I want to spoil. But man, kind of really kind of uh, jumps. You kind of almost have a jump scare there. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with this issue. I thought the art was amazing. We really found out some uh, some key information this issue to kind of really move things forward. I, I kind of love, you know, we've seen so many like cop interactions, like how cops get information, how things kind of move forward. I felt like they did such a smart job of giving us the right information to kind of give us hooked and then move forward. And uh, yeah, I just, I felt like this was such a action packed issue and uh, gave us all the kind of things to be excited for the next issue. And man, uh, I'm a little worried uh, what's going to happen to our character at the end of this ish, but um, I'm hoping it's going to be all right. Uh, we get um, the Billy Bear truck stop seem to play a role in this. So oh, real quick, let's, yeah, that's a crazy let's, place, dude. Don't ever go there. Bro. <laughs> let's do It's not real. So we should Wait, be fine. Let's quick. 
No. Let's uh, quickly shout out our favorite real truck stops, though. You a Sheets uh, guy? Stockies. Interesting. Sheets, uh, really? Sheets. I'm not saying it's my favorite, but I love a Sheets. Uh, oh, let's, yeah. let's not forget about Stewart's on the sort of oh, northeast. Oh, wow. Yeah, love Stewart's, Stewart's, man. Orange and uh, south of the border, a place. South of the border. You never saw such a place. <laughs> Murder Inc. Jagger Rose, no lucky oh! dark horse comics written by Byron Michael Bendis, art by Michael Avon Oming. We had them on the show. We talked ah! about this book, Pete. <laughs> you did got it. me. I'm on you. Oh, man. Uh, check I'm out our you. last live show. Great conversation with Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming about this book and many other things that they are working on. But that all aside, it doesn't matter that we talked about them. Let's give a pure honest review about this book, which continues the United States of Murder, Inc. It takes place in a world where the mob has taken over Earth, like they run everything. And this issue, we're focusing on a couple of characters from the first series who are ultimately on a collision course with the Vatican, which is also run by Just like all of us. Just like all of us. Um, I, I mentioned this on the live show. And, and don't we, repeat yourself. Well, no, no, no. I'll repeat myself here just in terms of the review because, like, we were talking, I think, on the previous podcast about how, to be perfectly honest, we are bad about calling out inkers. We're bad about calling out colorists. Taki Soma's color on this book is phenomenal. Like, yeah. that was my big takeaway from this book, almost more than the plot, almost more than Michael Avon always art. I was like, uh, this feels like something I've never seen before in terms of the color and awesome. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's, it's such a, just, if you sort of un you do, you read it, but then go back through and don't read the words and just let the R and colors wash over. Oh you. yeah. It's that rare comic where that just gives you a whole new perspective on it. And, um, but I, I think the story is great. The idea that the mob takes over not only America, but like a large part of the world. And what that means is a great premise talking to uh, Bendis about it and Oming and how they just love the actual history underneath this is just yeah. so makes you so excited for the book and what the potential that they have in store for it. Yeah, it was really cool to hear them talk about the passion they have for this project. So it really comes through in the pages. I mean, they're in the mob. I don't know about that, but the the pages just jump out at you. I mean, that last page, Vatican Reveal, just kind of slaps you across the face. It's so cool. I was, yeah, floored by, by the, way, the I just art. I want to mention, if you check out my Twitter, I have a Vatican Reveal that I posted earlier on today. <laughs> No, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, oh man, it was it was what surprising coming from yeah. you, Alex. I did not expect a Vatican. At Ace Albert on Twitter, Vatican reveal. <laughs> <laughs> Just do a search. Just Google Vatican reveal. Yeah, I think I, it's gonna be what uh, it's I, yeah, I was just super impressed with not only the stylized kind of art that we get, but also the emotions that come across this page and how fast this kind of moves in such a good way. The pacing of this is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I can't, can't wait for the next issue and it's uh, just getting started. So it's such a great sign. Is that like is Vatican reveal like a Catholic lemon party? Is that the right <laughs> Is that I only understood a couple of those words. About? What's a fucking lemon party, dude? Look it up. 
Is that like uh, PJ just quickly, White Party? Just where quickly, everybody wears wow. so much, quickly so much stuff to Google. <laughs> anyway, great book. Uh, this is really good. Like we again, like we talked about on the live show, and I just want to be clear that I'm not stop repeating yourself, man. Well, but uh, I want to be clear that like I'm not blowing smoke or anything. It is as a fan of Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avon Oming, it is so great to see them in a period where they're just like firing on all cylinders and being as creative as they possibly can because, you know, uh, we've been fans of them since Powers. We've seen them through yeah. Marvel and DC years. So getting to act back to a place where they're just being like all of our creativity and fun on display, you don't get that a lot. Like you get people wrung out by the Marvel DC system and then they turn in stuff that's just like, yeah. so yeah. having both of them, in this creative place, it's very fun. It makes me. It feels happy. like, like you're saying, it feels like they're entering a, a renaissance of their own, separately and together, which is really cool. Just hearing them talk about it, hearing that talk also reminded me of separately and together when they were on our live show back in the day, and we went to the bar afterwards with each of them separately at different times. Which I was definitely flashing to that uh, while we were talking. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country, The Glass House, number yeah. two from DC Comics, written by James Tyne IV, art by Patricio Del Pesce. In this issue, we are following a character who's been visiting a essential, essentially a whorehouse that is basically hell, and he has struck up a romantic relationship with one of the denizens there. It ties into the bigger overall story of Nightmare Country. Pete, I want to turn to you again because I was very surprised that not only did you just say, yeah, but also this was one of your picks on the live show. What was it about this book that resonated with you so hard? Well, first off, the art is super tight bananas. Uh, mm. There's just yeah. r- such a really cool story. And we're getting more and more kind of info on this, like, creepy teeth eyes character here. Creepy. And you could almost call them teeth. Um, but it was just like uh, <laughs> so. I, I'm. Re- I would call him Floor, but go ahead. Okay, all right. Well, you know, call him whatever you want. But I just think it was one of those things where um, it started to really click for me. Like when we got enough information to kind of see people's angles and what they're kind of about, and uh, I felt like, oh, this is really just such a interesting story about someone who falls in love with somebody that they probably won't be able to be able to be with and how this is all going to unfold. And like, I I don't know. I just think it's such a unique, cool story. The art is leading the way in such a cool way. Um, Yeah. I was just really impressed with this book and what it's accomplishing. It's really interesting to me that James Tynion IV, who JT4, JT4, who did a ton of, DC books and has since moved over mostly into more creator own stuff, but is holding on to the Sandman universe uh, at DC. And I, it, it feels like that, like really, he wants to really leave a, leave a mark here. And it feels like in this book and this series in particular, really channeling early Sandman, both in the art style and the type of stories that we're doing where we're really, uh, just pushing into this nightmare uh, world and uh, finding lots of interesting places to explore. I love this. Yeah, I really love this too. I think this is a great book. Uh, this is oh, very no. deep. What? I just looked up Lemon Party. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man. 
It's fucked oh, up. Man, don't look up Goatsy, man. <laughs> Wolverine number 33 from Here Marvel. We go. Ri- written by Benjamin Percy and Gene Lu and Yang. Art by Juan Jose Rip and Peter Nguyen. This is to do with the story of Beast versus Wolverine. Maverick is in the mix now as well. That's Before the Maverick. Get- That's the Maverick. That's the Top Gun. Top Gun. Top Gun. Top Gun. First of all, just very quick. I'm going to give a shout out. I, I don't think we've encountered one of these issues before, but um, I think both publishers have been doing a pretty solid job of embracing Asian American Pacific Islander uh, month. Mm. Uh, yeah. and particularly here, we get like a, one of the backups highlighting these sorts of characters who have this sort of uh, heritage. I think we're going to talk about a couple more throughout yeah. the stack as well. So, Good stuff. I'm glad people are doing that. But that said, I know Pete has been very conflicted about this storyline. So let's turn to Justin. What do you think about <laughs> everything? Well, I, I don't want uh, Pete to get in a place where he's feeling bad. Justin, what about you? What do you think about everything that's going on in Wolverine? Well, and like I understand Watch Pete's yourself, frustration. Justin. I understand. I'm echoing you here, Pete. I understand your frustration. This is a, a book that is called Wolverine. Wolverine is in it, but this book is definitely sort of Beast's Hates rogue op. Uh, and you see a lot of Wolverine's uh, clone clone Wolverine's killing or being killed. And I understand you're frustrated by that, Pete. But, but from a storytelling perspective, I like this story. I think the art is uh, nice. It has that sort of edgy, uh, X-Force-y type of look to it, which I think matches the story really well. I like these characters from Wolverine to Maverick to Wolverine's buddy, who's now going to save, uh, try to save his friend. So I like all the elements here, and I think we're building up to Wolverine really wrecking some beast, which I think, Pete, is maybe what you secretly desire. Well, yeah, but, I, you know, I don't like to see my parents fight. I, you know, if I showed up for a Justin comic and it was about Alex, you could understand why I would be <laughs> disappointed. You know what I well, mean? Well, what if he was, I mean, well, I mean, Alex would be a character in there. Well, you know, yeah, if we're going to tell a Justin yeah, story. Yeah, but I would definitely, like, if there were other characters who had glasses, I'd kill them. Yeah. Anyways, it's very funny I, that Beast has there's literally a scene about him having glasses. Yeah, exactly. to that say, was yeah. so good. Like so I know Justin. you're upset about this, Pete, but this comic is so funny at no, the same yeah. time. Uh, like like we're saying, there's a thing where Beast has created all these clothes of himself, and all of Beast's clothes were glasses, and they all sit around and be like so he, he's terrible, right? And we should stop him. And part of the reason that we should stop him is that he has made us nearsighted. We have to wear glasses because he wants us to be, feel less than him, right? So let's kill him. And then ultimately he pulls like a swerve and he kills all of those clothes and kills all the other clothes. Very fun. It's very fun. That's why I made you guys wear glasses. I don't think... What? I don't think... <laughs> You know, this should be called the Beast Book. You know what I mean? If we're, I, I just don't understand what we're doing here. You know what I mean? Because not only is Beast and Wolverine fighting, which is really fucked up, and there is tons of history there, and it's it's upsetting to be to have to sit through. But then, um, you know, it's now Beast is fighting with. The, 
you know, all these other beasts and, you know, Wolverine is being used like a fucking minion joke. I, I just. A minion I joke? I don't understand. Yeah, they're just little yellow fucking soldiers that maybe go and do jobs and maybe don't do great jobs. Nobody fucking cares about them. And it's and he's not in this at all. Like he's in it for a second. But do I you just think. Do you think? I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I know you're on a whole like rant here. Do you think Gru is the big bad guy behind all of this? Oh yeah, that would be a fun from Despicable um, Me. No, I, I understand clear. your reference okay. because I made the minions thing to kind of tip you off there. But anyways, <laughs> I just so think you, you that did tip him off. Yeah, I, I just think that like da da da. You know, Marvel right now is really having fun fucking with the fans, and I'm not having a good time. Here's what I'd say. Fuck with the fans, but don't fuck the fans. All right, let's move on. To- <laughs> it's it's just awful because it's like I'm going to the comic book store, and I'm like, here, here's my money. Make me fucking furious at you. You know what I mean? Like, you what don't the pay fuck? for any of these comics. You don't have to reveal that, asshole. You don't have to reveal that. <laughs> you know, that's not what this is about. I'm just saying that, like, I love Wolverine. I'm trying to read a Wolverine comic that's supposed to be about Wolverine, and it's about how Wolverine is a fucking useless soldier the thing. who's a fucking minion joke, and how Beast da, da, da. is just <laughs> out, God. you know, out there being horrible, and because everybody's on Fuck Island, no one gives a shit or knows about it, and it's just, it's insanity. Pete, if you go to the comic book store and buy it, it's a different issue. <laughs> you got this one, and you're, yeah. yeah. It's very cool, and Wolverine and Beast are friends. Oh, yeah. that sounds you nice. You would love that one. I yeah, hope you, to you should eventually... check that. You should, you should buy those comics. Yeah, now, let me see, both of, y'all should, both of y'all should lay off the minions in general. <laughs> You, I don't know, man. Minions Rise of Crew, did you see that shit? That was tight. Noctera number 14 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel. In this issue, our heroes, question mark, have finally encountered the folks who have all the light in the world. And of course, it's as messed up as you'd imagine. It's as bad as you'd imagine. And things only get worse from there. Um this is this is a great issue of this book. Like, I feel like we haven't exactly been trucking along with the book, no pun intended, because they're in trucks, but mm. this is a big Mac mythology trucks. issue. This is a big breakdown issue, and uh, this is definitely one of those issues that, like, Scott Snyder, I think, excels at in terms yeah. of, oh, there is no hope left in the world whatsoever. That's that true. What what'd you think, Pete? There certainly is a lot of circumstance. Well, yeah, it seems like the, the, from what I was trying to uh, get from the issue that maybe the hope might be the bad guy. You know what I mean? We'll see what happens. But um, they kind of reveal at the end made me think that maybe the that bad guy is going to be there to kind of help turn things around. But who knows? Uh, I just think that mm. this has been... Uh, really crazy adventure, and what's been really impressive about Scott Snyder's writing is just when you think like, okay, all they got to do is get to the light people, and then everything will be fine. He's like, nope, and you're like, okay, if they just get to this one town with all the lights in, everything will be fine. And it's like, nope. Um, 
But all these twists and turns have really been kind of culminating uh, in an interesting way. And man, uh, the art uh, by Tony Daniel is just unbelievable. And yeah, this has been just an intense ride that I've been very excited to read every time we get an issue. And uh, I'm nervously excited for our heroes. I don't know what's going to happen, but man, uh, I can't wait to see how it's going to all unfold. I think the underlying theme that maybe you're referencing a bit, Pete, is that uh, the bad things that happen to you actually have some good in them if you make that choice. And the good goals that maybe you're chasing uh, might also be bad. It feels like it's all about, you know, light and dark is the very obvious two thematic poles here for, for these characters. And really the answer is the all the gray in the middle that they're, they're chasing. So uh, with that in mind, I, I do think... It's such a plot-driven book, and each new section is like, oh, no, how are they going to get out of this? Mm -hmm. In the very much like TV way of dealing like a Lostian type book, Alex, which is maybe why you like it, Uh, ding, ding. Uh, But I I do – each issue is Scott Snyder just doing very like comic pro moves all day. King Kong, The Great War, number one from Dynamite, written by Alex Cox, art by Tommaso Bianchi. This is what it says on the box. A bunch of folks in World War I, I believe, end up on King Kong's island, and King Kong shows up. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. his island. There you go. Yeah. I mean, if a bunch of people ended up in Justin's home... <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm less intimidated. That Justin's home, the Great War, number one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one. Hey, of you those guys things. want a drink or some snacks? Well, Talk hang on, hang on, Justin. You're not revealed till the end. First, it's really about this captain in the beginning, and then we Great get point. the Justin reveal, aka Kong, at the end. Oh, I by feel the way, like- check out Justin's Twitter for the Justin reveal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just think <laughs> this book. Spent a lot of time on somebody we didn't know, and I kept reading it, being like, yeah, 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 but the Kong, when when, when are you going to get the Kong? Mm -hmm. And so at the end of it, I was like, okay, happy that finally King Kong was there. Um, I'm interested to see where it goes, uh, but yeah, they made us wait, wait for the Kong reveal. My review for this goes along with every comic review. When are we going to get the Kong reveal? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Mm-hmm. Every comic has a Kong reveal, and this one, it comes right at the end. Yeah. And honestly, this one was very funny because at the, the our main character here is like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. Captain. And he looks, he sort of looks around a corner, and then Kong looks around the corner with a look like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys out in my island? Uh, it's a very funny, strange reveal for this book about King Kong. I, my big... Uh, excitement about this book is that Pete didn't call the soldiers in here Nazis, which I thought was going to happen the entire time, despite the fact that they're World War One soldiers instead of World War Two soldiers. So, frankly, Pete, I would say that's growth. Nice. Student of history shining through. Yeah. Stargirl, The Lost Children, number six from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Todd Nock. In this issue, it all comes down to this as the assembled lost sidekicks fight against the Childminder as well as our man and a secret villain that shows up halfway through that changes 
a lot about what we probably thought was going on with all of Jeff John's DC stuff thus far. It also kicks us into the second, presumably, storyline on JSA. That's what it ties into. He's telling a big Uber story here. How did you feel about how this one wrapped up? Well, first off, I love the uh, art style for this. It's got this kind of cool anime kind of feel to it, which I really like. It's a fun art style that kind of sets the tone for the book. I think this is a fun team up. I love the splash action pages we got in here. Um, Yeah, I thought it was very kind of cool. Uh, I just felt like I had guardians on the brain because as soon as I saw that rock, uh, the raccoon, I was like, oh, this is. This Rocket Raccoon here, this guy kind of looks like uh, the Star-Lord a little bit. And then I was like, wait a second, come on, dude, this is not not the same property. Uh, Yeah, I get this out of my head a little bit. But then I was like, oh, yeah, he kind of looks like a little bit. And I was like, I'll stop. But other than that, uh, great. Uh, I liked the the art in this book is great. Todd Nock is doing sort of a uh, George Perez-esque version, sort of a younger, brighter George Perez here, uh, bringing all these sidekicks to life in a lot of like big, wide splash page action sequences, which is really fun. And I like this part of the DC universe. I like that Jeff Johns is really leaning into it. I think this is a fun, someone who has written so much of the Justice Society to sort of pivot, perhaps coming off of the Stargirl television show into this younger side of the DC universe, I think is really fun. Looking forward to when it pops back up in, I believe, Justice Society number six. Miracle Man, Miracle Man number five from Marvel. (laughs) No, I said that terribly. Written by Neil Gaiman, art by Mark Buckingham. Now, I've, to be perfectly frank, kind of lost track of the continuity of what was published or not, but I believe, I think this is the first issue that really like has never seen the light of day in any way whatsoever. I'm, yes, and I feel like we've said that about most of these issues. Yeah, you know, no, no, but there was something one, like leaked onto right. the internet. Yes. This is the one that's like completely new. And what I was most surprised about is it is not something that feels completely new so much as continuing the storyline of following young Miracle Man as he tries to figure out his origins. It looks like we're reading the tea leaves a little bit, that it's Mark Buckingham jumping in and writing a little bit of the stuff that Neil Gaiman didn't necessarily pick up. But... This is really good. Like now that we're finally into a storyline that isn't decades old, I think they're pushing forward into things that are really interesting. There's a mystery that our main character is following. I'm very into this. How are you guys feeling about it? I like it as well. The art's really nice. And it sort of has the reverse of a lot of our classic superhero origins. Like Batman, you get the childhood trauma, and then that informs the character. Superman uh, left his home planet, and that informs the character. In this, it's like a character being like, what made me this way? And going back and trying to uh, find the, the, the events that led to him being who he is. Uh, so that's really cool. The backup is really interesting as well, which is like, uh, is Miracle Man looking back, trying to understand young uh, Marvel Man. And it's uh, showing some like classic stories that are fun and uh, old school and how that informs the present in a cool way. Uh, yeah, I mean, we get some fun old timey kind of comic in here, which was kind of uh, a fun nostalgia bath. 
But I have no idea what the mm. fuck is going My on or how band. any of this makes any fucking sense at all. And I'm just well, like, I think this is a character who's looking for their origins, right? Like that's the main thing that is happening here. We have think about it as like, I don't know, Shazam Jr. is trying to figure out, wait, everything I know ever known about myself is wrong. What am I actually? Who am I actually? Yeah. And that's what he's exploring here. Yeah. Does that help, Pete? Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to come over to your house and read the comics over your shoulder or, like, give you tips or anything like that. that oh, would I would love it if you just nightmare. silently read them over my shoulder. That's about that. That would be a oh, my that not silently? Am I breathing really loudly in your ear? <laughs> And so out of breath, I ran over here. <laughs> All right. Why don't we move on and talk about another Jeff Johns comic, Junkyard Joe, number six from yeah. Image Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Gary Frank. This is the last issue of this title that follows a robot soldier who is trying to help out a bunch of kids. Oh, and his, come on, man. Uh, the dude who's come writing on, a, a Beetle Belly style comic book about yeah. him. Great action stuff in here. I would love to read more of this comic book. Agreed. I I thought this had such a cool ending. I really loved it. Uh, Feel good story. Kids kind of fucking saving the day. Um, Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, at first I was like, what the fuck is going on when this comic started? I wasn't sure. But then the more information we got, the more I liked it. The art is absolutely fantastic. And you end up falling in love with this robot, which is hard to do because robots don't have feelings and are eventually going to rule us. Uh, so, yeah, I just oh. felt like this was really uh, kind of an adorable uh, uh, story uh, kind of told in a uh, interesting way. Um and they made you kind of earn it, but man, the ending uh, is does make it all worth it. Well, you know, it's funny hearing you say you can't fall in love with the robot when my Roomba and I are very intimately connected. Well, I uh, you should talk to your wife, man. You're right, but the Roomba is always listening. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nope. What do you do about that? Uh, this book is, um, you know, I, I, I like this. The Gary Frank R is great. Though I do feel like I feel the weight of the larger universe that Jeff Johns is sort of establishing and building here. And I wish we just got a little bit more juice out of the story here. It still feels like we don't quite know a lot of the reasons why a lot of this stuff happened. Uh, this cartoonist um, and this uh, drew these cartoons about this robot, and then the robot was real and found him. But it, it never, it doesn't quite all hang together for me, uh, despite the fact that I do like a lot of the ideas at play here. And the, like I said, the arts. Cool. I don't understand what you're missing. You know what I mean? Like this older gentleman who draws cartoons. Uh, was nice to this robot when everybody was scared of him and they became friends and, you know, earned each other's trust. And uh, now they're kind of like family and uh, it's, a, it's a lovely story. I don't understand. That's what happened to Gary Larson. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Far side. That's man. right. Yeah. Yeah. That kid who was pushing the wrong way in the door came home and lived with him. Yeah. It was pull. <laughs> Wasn't oh, it uh, was. Uh, no, 
it makes because I was always wondering how come he can't get so the darn thing open. Like, why is this funny? This is not funny, but thank you. Now it's funny. <laughs> Star Trek Defiant number three from IDW, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Angel Unz- Unzeta? Unzuta. I'm a terrible person. Anyway, this is the dark Star Trek, and I am having a blast reading this book. Justin, what about you? Same. Love, like I keep saying this over and over again, all these characters who have never hung out, banging around together in this universe. You got Spock talking to Lord's head, Worf's jumping around, getting shot. This is just a fun, bang em up toy box dumping Star Trek story. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to keep talking about these because, uh, uh, Zalvin, you're doing a great job of picking these amazing Star Trek comics that are doing great at uh, bringing Star Trek stories to life in a way that really feels like the show. So it's hard to keep coming up with new ways to kind of talk about it. But these are great stories. And whether or not you're the biggest Star Trek fan or not, I think there's something for everybody in this. And, uh, yeah, the art's fantastic. And I want to give a shout out. This isn't in the stack. We're going to be talking about some free comic book day books towards the end of the stack. But there was a Star Trek Day of Blood prelude book that Mm -hmm. was on free comic book day that ties into this issue, which is like Countdown to Day of Blood, which is their crossover between the Star Trek title and the Star Trek Defiant title. Um, Super fun and dark as well. Uh, Really looking forward to these books. I think they're doing a great job. Superman Lost, number three from Sorry, DC one Comics. Last thing on, one yeah, last yeah. thing on that, uh, because it just hit me. This Star Trek line feels like what Archie was doing like 10, 12 years ago, which led to the Riverdale series and all of that, like taking oh, big swings and doing stuff that uh, just are dream fan uh, stories. Superman Lost, number three from DC Comics, written by Priest, art by Carlo Pagulian. This is following Superman as he is, per the title, completely lost in the universe for months and years at a time. Here he's trying to hitch rides with some dolphins because he's like, oh yeah, Lobo hangs out with dolphins all the time. That's going to get me home. Spoiler, doesn't get him home. Makes things kind of worse. Yeah, don't do what Lobo does. Is a good lesson here because he you know what he is. He's like a space Wolverine. You know what I mean? Like he's like. You know what's fun little... is you hitting the same joke over and over again. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not a joke. It's a belief. It's a belief, <laughs> my friend Pete. Uh, you know when your your partner is going through your clothes, pulls out an outfit, and is like, "Hey, what's the deal with this outfit?" And that kicks off a story of being like traumatically lost. You know that feeling. Mm-hmm. All That's the time. what Superman and Lois are going through here. I like Superman just wandering around. It's a fun uh, adventure story. I, I like the idea of your partner going through your stuff and judging you. I think may, that makes me happy. Um, I I think that this is an interesting book. Um, you know, you can't trust regular dolphins, and you sure as shit shouldn't trust trust space dolphins. Oh, I. It's interesting to hear you guys call this book fun because this is so tense to read. Uh, We started in a place where we felt like, oh, maybe Superman had an affair on Lois. What's going on? The truth is actually so much worse and so harrowing for Superman and pushing him to an edge in a way that we have never seen before in comics. So this is something that feels like a panic attack of a comic waiting to happen as you're reading it. Oh, interesting. I like, it has big space adventure. That's what I mean by fun. And I like that part. 
No, no, no. I totally get that. And like, I love how they're exploring these aspects of space where it's not like, and then we happen on the Legion of Superheroes and here's a Green yes. Lantern. It's literally like, no, all the toys are away. This is a empty toy box. Superman is sitting in here alone. It's a cardboard box. What do we do? And you you were talking about, Justin, you brought up this great question for Bendis and Oming on our live show about like, about taking all of your tools away, like all of the things yeah. that you normally use. And that's what this feels like for Superman, where it's pretty purposefully challenging to be like, what does Superman usually need? We're going to give him none of that. And yeah, yeah, that's right. That's spot on. Yeah, and so I'm loving it. Like, just in terms of challenging our character, it's harrowing, it's hard to read, but very, very good. Similarly, let's move on to The Invincible Iron Man, number six from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Andrea DeVito. In this issue, we're continuing to deal with the fallout of Phalong, taking away that everything that Iron Man holds dear. Here, Iron Man is flashing back in time to get some lessons from his past. So we get to see some West Coast Avengers characters. X-Men. Justin. This has to be your jab. I this is my jam. I shouted this out as one of my favorite uh, reads of the week on the live show. Uh, love, love harkening back. I love this sort of Tony Stark self-examination, knowing that the roots of his current crisis are in his past. He has to solve these problems to move forward. And it's really interesting stuff. Like getting Iron Man into the X-Men is sort of like a peas and carrots, I feel like, in the Marvel Universe, but they're doing a great job of blending them really well. Uh, and something that occurred to me that I want to talk to you guys about, it, part of the plot is focused around Magneto's helmet and how it just, for whatever reason, is impenetrable to a psychic attack. Why Why is that? Why he? It's always been a thing, an unquestioned thing, like Magneto's helmet? Well, you can't get through that with your psychic stuff. Is it made of a fun metal? Is it like really thick? Uh, is it like a cool shape? Why is it? Why do they have such a hard time getting through that helmet? I assume my thought is that it has to do with comic books. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. It's just funny to me what an unquestioned fact it has yeah. always been when every comic book fact is always questioned. It's like, oh, I should do an arc about how this thing actually isn't that at all. And there's yeah. some of the Magneto helmet stands firm is like, well, no one can fuck with that helmet. Good luck in through that thing. When it's just like you knock it off and he's like, my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, what did you think about this issue? Well, what was crazy was I was just, uh, you know, after I read the Venom book that we'll talk about in a little bit, I read this one and I was like, all right, there's, there, we have a Shogun Iron Man and then we had Samurai Venom. I was like, what is Not happening? wrong Iron Man book. Other, that's the other Iron Man book, which I also like that we're going to talk about in a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm confusing uh, my This Iron is the Man. X-Men Spider-Man villain uh, Wonder fight. Man is in it. It's the Wonder Man. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, great issue. Monarch number four from Image Comics, written by Rodney Barnes, art by Alex Lids. We didn't talk to him about it much, but we did talk to Rodney Barnes about Monarch. Slam. There you go. Uh, this is another uh, baller issue for this book. 
we have a spoiler here, but a young kid who we were initially following turns out to be the leader of this alien invasion. In this issue, he figures out, wait, maybe I don't want to be reading, leading this alien invasion after all. And of course, the alien invasion turns on him. I love the narration. He's got feelings. He's got feelings. I love the narration in this book, the way that it is told, the art. Everything. It's it's the whole package, man. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a total package. It's a great ish. I mean, not only is the art unbelievable, but some really cool uh, storytelling. You, you, it's a very unique uh, kind of thing that's setting up. It's also kind of triggering because you got a, a, a crazy white dude running around to school with a gun, and like there's there's a lot of levels to everything that's going on here. So. I was super impressed with this book. I was really happy with uh, like what is going on and and how it's being talked about and 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 stuff. So yeah, I just think this is an incredible creative book and super impressive. We talked about this on the live show a little bit, but uh, I really like that the jump around that happens here in between each issue is getting different perspectives on this story. It's a really unique way of telling a. A premise that is uh, straightforward, but the way it's told is the most interesting part. And the art, I also agree, is very good. Scar number two from Dynamite, written by Chuck Brown, art by Trevor Fraley. This was a big surprise in the first issue in terms of being a story of Scar that takes place before the Lion King. Here we're continuing to follow that story as he makes his way towards the main story of the movie. Given that we really like the first issue, or at least I know I like the first issue, how'd you guys feel about the second one? I like this too. Like it is, it's pushing at the edge, getting into a little bit more philosophy behind how the Lion King world works. It reminds me of not quite as satirical, uh, but it, Mark Russell's work, like on the Flintstones. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's a little bit more of a of an all readers version of that, where it's um, giving us more philosophy, a little bit more humor, and uh, pushing into some of the darker areas of the Lion King story. Yeah, I'm uh, super impressed with the art style. It's kind of like uh, a little darker, a little creepier version of the animation animation style we know from The Lion King. And yeah, this is just kind of like exploring Scar as a character, which is weird because it's not one of my favorite characters, but it's an interesting uh, take. And then he's kind of on the uh, the... What is it? The elephant to graveyard here and kind of mm-hmm. really exploring the world of the hyenas, which could be interesting. It seems like we're going to get into some new stuff with some new characters. So uh, feels cool. Gotham Academy Maps of Mystery, number one from DC Comics, written by Carl Kershaw, Becky Cloonan, and Brendan Flesher, art by yeah. Carl Kershaw. This is telling a couple of short stories specifically about Maps, the character from Gotham Love Academy. It. And following what's going on with them, uh, what did you think about this? Well, at first I was very excited because I was like, oh, I love maps. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. show me some layouts. Let me see the world before we get into it. And then I was like, oh, oh, the maps, the character. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, but uh, just so creative and beautiful, part manga, part vertigo, just so enjoyable, so different. The art is just crazy type banana, so unique. I really love these stories and this comic. It's just uh, uh, so cool, this kind of like ghost story anime style. It's very, very unique. Uh, nice to have a comic that really is 
pretty much halfway between like a superhero story and uh, a, a manga. Like it does a good job of blending the styles and the storytelling and all of that uh, recognizable characters. Um, and I should also say that Pete loves maps so much. Sometimes he wazes himself to his own bathroom. <laughs> I am Iron Man number three from Marvel, written by Maroe Ayodele, art by Doton Akande. In this issue, as Pete spoiled earlier on. I know, I can't believe you pre revealed this. Oh boy, we are getting a samurai shogun style Iron Man and Rhodey. Turns out, as the machinations of Mojo. Halfway yeah. through this issue, Twist. each issue of this is a standalone story diving into an aspect of Iron Man. I love the series. This is, I uh, you know, I like what Jerry Dugan is doing with the main Iron Man series, but this is awesome. The art is gorgeous. The storytelling is really layered and fascinating and exploring different aspects of Iron Man. I've been very impressed by the series. It's just great companion book, uh, companion books, these two Iron Man books, because one sort of continuity driven, like heading toward large Marvel events, uh, bringing the world to the universe together. While this like standalone sort of on the outer edge of the Marvel Comics universe in a cool way. The fact that Mojo popped up here, I was like. I knew something was weird, but I didn't think it was mojo weird. And there it was. Uh, I, I've i been loving – these books are making me love Iron Man once again. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I just feel like the art style is fantastic. This is such a cool, creative idea. And then the tw- twist of the mojo, but then the twist again later that we – you know. You hear a lot about Tony's relationship with his father, but, uh, you know, you get the kind of mom shout out in this issue that is super it's powerful. Mother's Day. Mother's Day coming up. Yeah, fuck, take all the fucking jokes that I was going to fucking do. Oh, sorry, Just I don't pull, know. pull everything away from me so I don't get Email anything. me a script that you want to You hit. fucking dick. Don't interrupt people. Let them fucking talk. And then if we you got something. We have that email know. that we send before the show. We're like, hey, guys, I want to claim these jokes real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay, you know what? So Let's cut guys, out what Sunday I... is Mother's Day. Make sure you're fucking on it, all right? It's this Sunday. <laughs> is that your joke? <laughs> That's more of a public service announcement. <laughs> well, Pete is pretty much done. Why don't we move on and talk about Old Dog number four from Image Comics by Declan Shalvey. This is a big issue for anybody who's been wondering about the sci-fi stuff that went down to the first issue of this title. Um, we get back to that in a big way here with some awful results for our main character. What do you guys think about this issue? I love this issue. I thought this was uh, really impressive artistically. And then it leaves you with some deep shit, man. I really love the way this this ended. Uh, Some losses you never recover from. Uh, Yeah, I just think that this such a cool uh, issue. Uh, Enough action, enough story. uh, But, man, uh, kind of leaves you with with some thoughts. You know what I mean? Where you're kind of like, wow, man. Life, you know? Yeah. Uh, wow. Deep uh, philosophy. Happy Mother's Day, I guess, is what I would say to that, Pete. Uh, this book, uh, when we talked to Declan Shelby on our show a few months back, you could tell that uh, this We is, really should have talked to him. Yeah, <laughs> we really should have talked to him. Uh, thanks for picking up the slack on Pete's line, yep. Alex. But Declan loves this book. It was very clear in the way he talked about it. And I think it has a big show-don't-tell vibe, like – 
mm-hmm. it's definitely like something that we talk about in improv, uh, right, guys? Uh, that you sure. uh, treat your audience um, like uh, geniuses and poets and geniuses, and they might just turn out to be that. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I think this book does. It very much is like, I'm going to show you the story and you can f- sort of draw your own conclusions and figure it out. And that's what we're getting here. While at the same time, the art is really good and emotive. Speaking of improv, it was crazy that Ben just kept saying, yes, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. He's good in stuff. 101. The Great British Bump Off, number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by John Allison, art by Max. Max Saren. This follows a murder mystery that is happening at a Great British Bake Off style show, and the main character is trying to figure out the mystery while also trying to win the baking competition. A delightful ribald mystery throughout. I am having a blast reading this book. You know, it's funny that our style matches. Go ahead, Pete. I was going to say it's funny that you're having fun because the tension of this is just so intense. So it's weird that you would say the word fun because the tension of the Bake Off and this, you know, layered on top of everything just doesn't seem like there's room for fun. But man. Uh, I love all the stuff that is happening in this comic, and the art is super bananas time. This book reminds me a little bit of watching a reality show where it keeps sort of recapping the stuff that's happening. Yeah. I don't quite know. It's not moving forward in a way that I can really, like, find the pace. Reality in. TV doesn't move forward. That's what I. That's what I'm struggling with this with in this book. Like it feels like, and I know the Great British Bake Off, which feels like a strong piece of source material, is also famously like there's not a lot of drama. It's just nice people making nice food, and uh, this adds the murder element. But it very much feels like it's a little bit uh, doggy paddling across the English Channel. Well. Mm. Danger Street, number six, from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Jorge Fornes. This is a bunch of stuff happening with a bunch of characters again. Wow. Yep. Wow. (laughs) I don't Uh, know. To me, this is Tom King just doing, like, a Silver Age exploration. Like, it's telling, like, sort of wide, fantastical uh, we have this wide fantastical narration that's sort of covering the action. And then just like to Alex's point, stuff keeps happening. It's amounting to something. You can see there's enough of a draw together of each of the individual threads to keep me interested. But I don't know actually where how all of these characters will connect by the end. Well, that's the magic of Tom King, man. He keeps you guessing right up until the very end, if he can. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I love this comic. You got a screaming helmet to start and end the thing. Also, you get a helmet in the middle. Uh, The helmet becomes part of the story. So, at more helmet, which I didn't think was possible, but then we got it. Crazy to me that we have talked about so many Tom King books. And Justin and I are like, well, this is really layered and really fascinating. And you're like, I don't get this. Fuck this book. And we get to this book and you're like, I love this helmet. (laughs) Get on the hook. And I believe it's actually um, uh, since the weekend, it's Tom King Charles is how you say Mm. it. Also, the cover with the hilarious serial ad is uh, uh, great cover. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. Jorge Fortis's art. Phenomenal. Tom King's plotting, interesting, but I don't know what this book amounts to yet. 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 
we'll know in another six issues, and that's great that's for me. That's Tom King for you. That makes me feel really good. I love waiting six months to find out what the story is. Extreme Venomverse number one from Marvel, written by Ryan North, Mirka Andalfo, and Leonardo Romero. Art by Paulo Sacara, Nico Leon, and Leonardo Romero. This is very similar to Edge of Spider-Verse, is kicking off the end of Venomverse, I think, event or Venomverse. It's an extreme event. Venomverse, I'll extreme say that. Extreme Venomverse event where we're seeing a bunch of Venoms. Um, so your mileage may vary. <laughs> what do you uh, guys think? Pete, this is this is a tailor-made book for you, right? Yeah, you got Zeb you Wells doing this uh Venom style stuff and you know, you got Spider-Man fighting a gorilla here, and uh, you know this is just some nope, great wrong book again. Wrong. Yeah, book I again. don't think Zeb Wells <laughs> is doing this. No, but... you're thinking of the Spider-Man Venom free comic book. Yes, game book. that's exactly what I thought we were talking about. Uh, but th- what I will say about this one is it's it brings in some surprising distant areas of the Venom verse uh, that mm-hmm. I did not uh, expect to see coming together. I'm intrigued by this. My complaint, um, I think last week was about sort of the symbiote verse being like so overpowered and all over the place. I, what I like about this and the free comic book day book that uh, Pete's just hankering to talk about is it does seem to be sort of focusing and editing our storytelling back to some more Eddie Brock stuff and at least the Eddie Brock family. So I appreciate that. that. And I'm curious. uh, I am hoping that is the point of this next Venom event. uh, All I wanted to mention was that I generally thought the stories in here were good. There's good writing and there's good art throughout. The weird thing to me is it's little moves versus like the edge of Spider-Verse stuff where they throw out, what if Spider-Man only did musical theater? What if Spider-Man was in a film noir? What if this other thing? And these are all like, what if Eddie Brock, but he was like 90% happier. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and all of the stuff is like, okay, this makes sense, but I don't, uh, this is actually a legitimately more reasonable take on alternate universes, but that's not how it works in comics. So it's having, I'm having a hard time hooking into it. I liked yeah. the, the stories. I thought the Samurai Venom was really cool. Mm-hmm. I also liked how we got kind of like the OG kind of Venom story in here. We revisited that. That was really neat. Yeah, that was um, very neat. Uh, I love the Bl- Brock family in this and the kind of like shadow spider thing that we got that it was just a kind of cool moment. I feel like there are a lot of little pieces that I'm excited about and I'm um, moving forward. I'm excited to see what happens. And uh, yeah, I, I thought the art was great. I mean, it helps that at the, in the back of the book, we get the phrase, something is hunting venoms with extreme prejudice. So it feels like something's going to be Craven. killing a bunch of venoms. Uh, my craves. The craves. Daredevil nice. number 11 from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, Jason Liu, art by Rafael De La Torre, art uh, by and uh, Lynn Yoshi. This is another book that has a great backup story tying into AAPI month. But the front yeah. story has Chip Zdarsky breaking down Daredevil in the biggest way Jeez. possible. Jesus. Uh, what the hell's going on really in Marvel, bro? What is Marvel doing? Guys, let me just ask, because maybe I'm I'm not sure. But did 
Daredevil just out crazy the villains? Did he stab his eyeball out and then push it into the eye socket of the bad guy? Did that really fucking happen? That's what I saw. Do you feel like maybe in the Marvel cafeteria they're like not the like the food is not as good as it used to be or something? <laughs> like maybe the pizza sauce is like not as flavorful? Because mm-hmm. it does feel like there's some sort of malaise over what's happening here. Yeah. Like do this you, daredevil is fucked up. Do yeah, you think so, at any point when Chip Zdarsky was writing this, he was like, oh, daredevil, you, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Yeah. I mean, I do feel that way. And I, I just, I, I, there's not a lot of love for the daredevil character in this. This is like such a scraping the bottom of the barrel of, of our guy here. And the last line on the last page, this is a spoiler, I guess, technically, but it's just sad is it's him in his sad outfit. And he says, all I have left to do is die. And then, like, Daredevil signature on the bottom of the page. I'm like, Jesus, that's your way out of this story. But and, like, I, I, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just so dark. No, but listen, everybody has topped the previous Daredevil run in some way in terms of changing the status quo. This feels like Chip Tazarski working towards his mic drop, being like, Daredevil has no eyeballs because he can't see, so it's okay. And he's going to kill himself. And uh, good luck to you, the next writer, whoever you are. Yeah, exactly. This is this walkaway issue. It's like, oh, Woo. that's OK. I'm OK with like the daredevil mic drop of like next writer. You figure out how to deal with this thing. This is nuts. And that's good. I don't know. That puts people it's in good. a corner. He doesn't have eyes. Yeah, he cut yeah, his eyeballs eyes. out, man. Yeah, he can get an eye back. It's a comic book. You can get an eye back. You can get an eye back. It's fine. I don't know the eye depository. I just Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange gives him an eyes back. I know here's a spell to get eyes back. It's your answer for everything. Gives him the eye of Agamotto. He's got one giant eye necklace in his eye. I wonder if they're sitting around at the Marvel lunch table and they're like, "Yo, I give you ten (laughs) bucks if you have a Daredevil cut out his own eyeballs." Yeah, and just to be clear, for anybody who doesn't know this, everybody at Marvel, they all eat at the same lunch table. Yeah. <laughs> and not I think di- maybe... Not breakfast or dinner, but lunch. What's crazy is like a couple tables over, DC, all uh, eating lunch together. <laughs> yeah, it's a real rivalry. Yeah, and yeah. I just think at the Marvel table, they like stopped having like uh, Taco Tuesday or something. And now yeah. it's uh, like, I don't know, tur- it's like Turnip Tuesday now. And they're Dynamite, not, they, they're not allowed in the lunchroom. They gotta, they just like retreat to the stage in the theater and they're like eating on there. They're like, oh man, this is this, much cooler, right? We're getting into an Alex story. We're getting to an Alex story. Yeah, they hang out in the theater, right, guys? Because that's the thing you do. Yeah, it's so, it's so cool. Uh, why don't we move on and do a couple of quick hits on free comic book day issues. I'll just mention we didn't get previews of this, so I wasn't able to send this to you guys. Uh, but there was a Rick Remender book coming out from Image called Sacrificer that was my topic for free comic book day. Just in terms of it seems like, oh, my God, this is another harrowing, terrible story from Rick Remender that's going to absolutely traumatize us. 
us in a fantasy world. There's also a great story from Jeff Lemire that I was very excited about, um, about some sort of flies. I don't remember what it was. It wasn't fireflies, but it was something else. But let's uh, run through these books real quick. The first one, Uncanny Avengers Free Comic Book Day, number one from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan and Jonathan Hickman, art by Joshua Cassara, Javier Garan, and Valerio Sheedy. This is kicking off two big events. The first one is we are getting towards the fall of X, and then the Jonathan Hickman story in there, I believe, if I remember correctly, is Gods, which is his new addition to the DC Universe that involves somebody who does Doctor Strange already. Uh, I would I say said. Marvel Universe probably, but otherwise, yes. Did I say DC Universe? Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's been a long show. Are we talking about Uncanny Avengers? Yes. Okay. <laughs> did I'm sorry, but is this... Did I watch Cyclops die in this issue and then be reborn as Captain Krakoa and then become even more douchier? So here's the fever dream. Okay, here's what happened. We haven't been reading X-Men because you shout too much about X-Men. So I didn't. That's not a win. In X-Men. Cyclops died, he was resurrected, and because they didn't want the world to know about resurrection, he took on the identity of Captain Krakoa. That's hilarious. However, the world then found out about resurrection, so he was like, okay, fine, I'm Cyclops, don't worry about it, you all know. Anyway, some mystery character kills Cyclops again and takes on the identity of Captain Krakoa in order to kill everybody in the United Nations, if I remember correctly. A bunch of people, yes. I know, I think it's Congress. 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 There you go. Classic uh, grandma's peach tea move, if you ask me. What? Because grandma Grandma's will kill tea? you if you take her peach tea. Is that from Batman v Superman, where uh, oh. Lex Luthor leaves Don't the greatest peach Batman tea? Batman v Superman. That's like the it's only something movie everybody I have seen. ever seen. Jesus, yeah. that's that enough. Not, you don't need to see. You don't get else. to quote that movie. That's not a quotable. You don't get to. I'm learning to uh, live with a lot of things. <laughs> Batman v Superman. Great. Okay. I know. Just classic quotes. Um, I was surprised to see this as the, the big push. Uh, Uncanny Avengers being a sort of team that has been left by the wayside for a while. But I like it. I like these characters coming back together. This seems like genuinely a pretty big problem they have to uh, solve here. So that's cool. And the the backup by Hickman, very interesting. Into it. Yeah. I uh I got really excited that when Cyclops died and then I got really sad when he came back even douchier. The Umbrella Academy Free Comic Book Day from Dark Horse Comics written by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba and yeah. Bartos Sidbor, art by Gabriel Ba and Fabio Violante. This is an Umbrella Academy story and also a Witcher, Witcher story. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. thought this was a fun one. I enjoyed this. Both of them fun. Fun. I don't know what it had to do with um, our Umbrella Academy characters besides landing in something that's setting up the Sparrow Academy. There you go. Uh, which could be cool. Something perhaps from the television show. It seems like you just into... answered your own question. It was oh, beautiful. Great. The Gabriel Bar ba art was gorgeous. Fantastic. As always. Yeah. Spider-Man Venom, free comic book day from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, Al Ewing, and Jonathan Hickman, art by Patrick Gleason, Cafu, and Brian Hitch. This is giving us some big previews for Spider-Man Venom in terms of introducing a uh, retcon 
symbiote character from like the golden age. And then the big one that I definitely want to talk about is the Jonathan Ickman, Brian Hitch story, which is a little bit of ultimate invasion. Um, But overall, a good book. Uh, The last story, just to jump right to that, this is a couple of pages from ultimate invasion. This seems to be finally getting to wait, how what happened with Miles Morales when he got to the Marvel Universe yeah. with Secret Wars? That's very exciting. Agreed. I was really I love that. I mean, this book was cool across the board. It was one of my again, like talking about how I was disappointed by a lot of symbiote stuff. This book uh was great. Like the retcon story, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then the full page of the uh, the retcon symbiote robot guy with oh yeah he's in eyes and tongue out I was like this is scary yeah <laughs> uh, so that was great and then like you said the Hickman Hitch stuff at the end let's go yeah it was there's super some scary stuff for sure that whole flexo thing was kind of crazy um but yeah the uh, Spider Man fighting a gorilla was kind of cr- bananas and then uh, <laughs> and then I get uh, it. And then wow. uh, given uh, Craven, given Doc Ock exactly what he needs for his evil plan. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to get into a classic Doc Ock story. I think that'll be fun. Last but Doc not least, Conan the Barbarian, free comic book day from Titan Comics, written by Jim Zub, art by Rob Dilatore. This is a classic Conan tale, and, uh, you know, Jim Zub seems the perfect fit for it. I'm excited to read his ongoing series. I like the fact that it seems like they challenge themselves by doing a truly classic uh, feeling and looking Conan story and then straight up did that. That also sets up the upcoming run. Yeah, Zubhub is a great writer and Conan is a good fit for him. Uh, yeah, I I thought this was a really solid story. I liked the whole kind of like Conan setting out on his own. The art style really felt like old school Conan the Barbarian comics from back in the day. The nostalgia factor was on 10 and it was really quite beautiful. And that is it for the stack. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We'd love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Uh, what happened at the beginning of this podcast? <laughs> 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 <laughs>